So pretty much everyone has seen this four-quadrant graph, you know, the one that says agnostic atheist, gnostic atheist, agnostic theist, gnostic theist. The problem with that graph is that it's working with a completely misleading idea of what agnostic means and what knowledge means. It seems to conflate knowledge with certainty, and it implies that agnosticism is when you have less than 100% certainty about a proposition. Those are not small mistakes, and they render the whole chart useless, unfortunately. And to be clear, the chart is somewhat ambiguous. I'm mostly working off those who use the chart. Often when they say, but do you know God doesn't exist? What they're asking is, are you certain God doesn't exist? They also tend to have some funny ideas about the notion of belief, as well as agnostic. So let's start with agnosticism. There are two main ways one can be an agnostic. One way is to judge the scales to be balanced somewhat equally. You take the probability of a proposition to be roughly 50%, or 0.5. You think the evidence is roughly counterbalanced, maybe somewhere between 0.4 and 0.6 confidence. Another way you can be an agnostic is by withholding judgment. You refrain from assigning a credence or likelihood to the proposition at all. Someone might favor this option for different reasons. Maybe they're an in-principle agnostic, and they think it's impossible to assign a credence to the proposition in principle. Alternatively, maybe they don't feel comfortable in making a judgment, for whatever reason, so they don't assign a credence. We could split those into two different types of agnostic, a suspension agnostic and an in-principle agnostic, but what they both have in common is that they withhold judgment and don't assign a likelihood to the proposition in question. So, one way you could be an agnostic is to withhold assigning a credence at all. Another way would be taking the evidence to be roughly counterbalanced. An agnostic is not defined as someone who claims to have anything less than absolute certainty. Certainty would be having a credence of 1, or 100%. No one in epistemology thinks that you're an agnostic if you have less than absolute certainty in a proposition. That's just not what the word means. If you assign a credence of 99% to the proposition God does not exist, you're not an agnostic. You're an atheist. You can't be an agnostic and an atheist. The proposition in question is, God does not exist. You can't simultaneously think, God does not exist, is more probable than not, and think it's 50-50. If you think the proposition, God does not exist, is more likely true than not, you're an atheist. If you think the evidence is roughly counterbalanced, you're an agnostic. And, of course, if you think God does not exist is probably false, you're a theist. These are mutually exclusive positions. So I think a desire for intellectual humility is what drives a lot of atheists to call themselves agnostic atheists. That's obviously a good thing, but you don't need to claim to be 100% certain that God does not exist to be an atheist. You can be an atheist who just says, God probably doesn't exist. In fact, that's the normal way of being an atheist. That's how most atheists, academic and non-academic, philosopher and non-philosopher, use the term. Beliefs can be held with different kinds of conviction. Some atheists are certain that God doesn't exist. Some atheists are very strongly persuaded that God doesn't exist. 
Some are fairly sure that God doesn't exist. Some atheists are only slightly swayed in favor of there being no gods. What they have in common is that they all believe, with some degree of confidence, that God does not exist. So, a lot of these discussions fail to get off the ground because of confusion around the notion of belief. Belief in these contexts is not quite as significant as many people take it to be. Belief is just a matter of accepting a proposition. That's how epistemologists and philosophers use the term. It doesn't mean you have faith in the proposition, it doesn't mean you have no evidence for the proposition, it just means you accept it or affirm it. So, take my car is parked outside. I accept that proposition, so I believe my car is parked outside. The sun does not orbit the earth. All bachelors are unmarried. These are all beliefs I hold. So holding a belief is not that big of a deal. All you're saying is, I accept this proposition. It could be something like, all bachelors are unmarried. It could be something like, God doesn't exist. So actually, I mean, I should say that the, 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 one, the part where I tend to get pushed back on this when whenever I've talked about this with people who are laypersons, let's say, is the belief part. Because a lot of people seem to use belief in much more restrictive ways than philosophers do. So I think it's important uh, to state yeah. that when a philosopher talks about a belief, right, literally a belief is just a matter of accepting a proposition, right? It's like anything that you would, like any time, any proposition that you would kind of say yes to, right? like, yes, that's true that's a belief. So I believe that my car is parked outside right now. Oh, right? I'm glad you, that's the example I used too. Really? Okay, well, there you go. Right? And it, we're, we're synced back up. Know. So, so belief, I mean, my point is, you know, belief isn't, what would be the word? It's, it's not like a kind of significant thing. It's not like, you know, some people think belief requires faith. That's not how philosophers use the term. Um, well, and belief is distinct from knowledge because I can definitely believe that my car is parked outside mm-hmm. without knowing that my car is parked outside. Um, in fact, the when I wouldn't know that my car was parked outside is a great example of this. So um, how would I know that my car was parked outside? Well, it would have to be true that my car was parked outside. If it was false, then I would have a mere belief. Yeah. If I didn't believe my car was parked outside, then I couldn't know that my car was parked outside. So we definitely need me to believe it as well. And then I'd have to have a good reason, a justification, a warrant, um, adequate evidence um, is another example from the text. Whatever. Um, I'm going to keep using justified. I'd I'd have to be justified um, in believing that my car was parked outside. So those were a couple of philosophy professors trying to explain the notion of justified true belief, which is a widely discussed conception of knowledge. You have knowledge if you have a justified true belief. If your belief is justified but not true, it seems wrong to say you have knowledge. You might have really good reasons supporting your belief that no one can refute, but if it's not true, it's not knowledge. So having a justified belief is not enough. On the other hand, if your belief is true but not justified, it's also wrong to say you have knowledge. If you correctly believe that the Earth orbits the Sun and not the other way around, but you only believe so because it's raining outside, you have a true belief, but you have no good justification for your belief. You just got lucky. 
so having a true belief is not enough. On this view, you have knowledge if and only if you have a justified, true belief. There's something called the Gettier problem that seems to undermine this conception, but the JTB conception of knowledge is still a good jumping-off point. A lot of the controversies surrounding JTB have to do with adding another condition to the three already mentioned, asking what counts as justification, or otherwise adding to or modifying JTB. So like I said, it's a good place to start if you want to think more about this issue. Like pretty much everything else in philosophy, figuring out what constitutes knowledge is more complicated business than you might think. One thing that's clear is that on this conception of knowledge and many others, you can have knowledge without having absolute certainty in your belief, which is why this is relevant to that graph. Regardless of your analysis of knowledge, it's widely agreed that certainty is not a necessary condition for knowledge. In order to say we know a proposition to be true or false, we don't need 100% certainty in our belief. Certainty is not a necessary condition for knowledge. Whether you say that you know God exists or doesn't exist depends entirely on your conception of knowledge. But if you believe God exists to any degree, you're a theist. If you're pretty sure God doesn't exist, you're an atheist. If you think God doesn't exist but you can't prove it with certainty, you're an atheist. If you're absolutely certain God doesn't exist, you need to rethink that, but you're an atheist. Bottom line is that if you think the proposition, God does not exist, is more likely true than not, you're an atheist. Some people go so far as to claim that they don't have beliefs, or that having beliefs is somehow irrational. But again, belief just means that you accept a proposition like, there is a rather large cat asleep on my couch. You have beliefs. You believe the earth goes around the sun, because you accept the proposition, the earth goes around the sun. You don't just lack a belief in geocentrism. You think it's false. In fact, I would say you know it's false, even though you can't have absolute certainty that it's false. So what about the supposed dichotomy between belief and knowledge? Well, it can make sense to say, I have a belief, but not knowledge. You can have a belief without having knowledge, since your belief might not meet the conditions for knowledge. Your belief might be mistaken. In that case, you wouldn't have knowledge. However, it makes no sense at all to say, I have knowledge, but not a belief. Again, if you have a belief, that does not mean that you have no evidence, or take it on faith, or anything like that. It just means you affirm a proposition. I've also seen some weird ideas about the notion of making a claim, like, I'm an atheist but I don't claim that God doesn't exist. That is an incoherent sentence. Claim is sort of like belief, it's not as big of a deal as you might think. For instance, I claim that it's more probable than not that God doesn't exist. Making a claim doesn't require one to have absolute certainty. If you're an atheist, you're implicitly making a claim about God's existence. There's no way around that. Again, it's not that big of a deal to make a claim, and it certainly doesn't make any sense to say, you know, I'm an atheist but I don't claim that God doesn't exist. So to draw some of this together, calling yourself an agnostic atheist is nonsensical. If you're an atheist, you think the proposition, God does not exist, is more likely true than not. It's that simple. 
If you're a theist, it's because you judge the proposition, God exists, to be more likely than not. If you're an agnostic, it's either because you're withholding judgment and not assigning a credence to the proposition, for whatever reason, or because you judge the evidence to be roughly counterbalanced. Being an atheist or a theist doesn't require one to make totally irrational claims to absolute certainty. Certainty is not the bar for knowledge, or for making a claim, for that matter. It never has been. An agnostic is not defined as someone who claims to have anything less than absolute certainty. An agnostic is someone who thinks the evidence is roughly counterbalanced, or doesn't even assign a credence to the proposition. Intellectual humility is important, and I think that's the real motivation behind the graph. Thoughtful non-believers don't want to make any irrational claims to certainty, or signal that they're closed off to the possibility that they're wrong. That's a good thing, but that's really not the issue at hand. Very few atheists would assign a credence of 100% to the proposition God does not exist. The word for a person who claims absolute certainty here should be moron, not Gnostic atheist. Unfortunately, I do know a lot of theists who claim that they're absolutely certain that their preferred form of theism is true. But certainty in this area is not on the table for anyone. So I want to take a minute to talk about the Dawkins scale. Richard Dawkins actually provided a much more useful way of approaching this issue than the four-quadrant graph, which really should just be discarded. It goes from one through seven. One is absolute certainty that God exists. Seven is absolute certainty that God does not exist. A person around four is an agnostic. And there are gradations between those points. Dawkins labels and descriptions for these different points muddy things up a bit, but the general approach of assigning a credence to a proposition, talking in terms of likelihood or probability, is a much better way of approaching these issues. Dawkins' point when he came up with this scale was that being at a 7 or a 1 was just indefensible. You can be at a 6 point something, but it's irrational to go to a 7. Absolute certainty is not an option available to mature believers or non-believers. All we can do is disagree about which way the balance of considerations tilts. I think the task at hand is to construct competing models that explain the world we see, then compare our competing models and ask which does a better job explaining the data, all things considered. So I'm not an agnostic. I'm not an agnostic atheist. I'm an atheist because I believe the proposition God does not exist is more likely true than not. Thank you for listening. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.